0: Grace, mercy, and peace from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. The text for this morning, the account of Jesus' entrance into the city of Jerusalem, recorded in Luke chapter 19, that Vicar has just read for us. Called to the cross has been a six-week journey through this season of Lent, and now, Holy Week looms before us. There is confusion and fear and sadness and deep sorrow ahead for the followers of Jesus. Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday. But first, there is Palm Sunday. Luke's account of Jesus' life and ministry was written so that a certain man named Theophilus Who lived in the first century but also all of us who have lived since may have certainty concerning the things we have been taught for the first nine chapters Luke tells us who Jesus is in chapter 9 Jesus resolutely sets his face toward Jerusalem in the next nine chapters Luke tells us what it means to follow Jesus and the last part the last part of his gospel starts today and it begs for our response the message for today is clear Jesus is drawing near three times in the context of the lesson we've just heard he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany he drew near to the descent down the Mount of Olives and in the verse right after our reading for today he drew near to the city of Jerusalem and once again wept over it. At the climax of our episode for today, the multitudes of Jesus' first followers cried out, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And the Pharisees responded, teacher, rebuke your disciples now here's the takeaway from this sermon jesus is the king who draws near to us at the cross to bring us peace jesus is the king who draws near to us in this time of worship to bring us peace so let's ask two questions let's ask what exactly does that mean and how will we respond? We're going to have to step back momentarily into the first century to try and capture the energy, the excitement, the drama of this moment as it unfolds before us. I need you to think like a first century person. Who ever since the fall into sin, God has been saying, I'm going to send a Savior, a Messiah, a King who will rule and who will reign over all creation, who will make things right in this world. I'm going to reestablish my kingdom, my real presence in the midst of my creation." And Abraham believed that promise, that through one of his descendants, all of the nations on earth would be blessed, be restored, be declared righteous, all the nations. Yet continuously oppressed by the very nations God sought to bless through them, a little shepherd boy named David came to be king, and he believed the promise That one of his descendants would sit on the throne forever. Which was hard to hold on to. As the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Seleucids and most recently the Romans had conquered and controlled their land. But now? Now Jesus comes. And no man has ever spoken like him. His power is breathtaking. The lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, the poor have the good news preached to them. He calms the storms, he feeds the, the masses. And then on the way into Jerusalem at Bethany, just two miles from the city gate, just two days ago, Jesus stood outside the tomb of a friend and he shouted, Lazarus, come out. And a dead man emerged from his grave alive. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the promised descendant of Abraham. Jesus is the eternal heir to the throne of David. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And so it's tempting at this point to say, thank you very much for the history lesson, Pastor Arp. (laughs) But that was then and this is now as we were studying this week i came across this from one of my favorite preachers who i've told you before is a pastor named dr timothy keller And so I'm going to quote him here because he says it better than I can say it. First of all, Keller notes that if you go back and you look at literature across the ages, it is full of myths and legends of legendary kings who would come to save the day. And he holds up in English literature King Arthur as one example. And so some have said, you know, maybe Jesus is just another story like that. But Keller writes, what if, and this, by the way, is the approach that eventually converted C.S. Lewis to Christianity. What if, in the very beginning, after the fall into sin, God said to Adam and Eve, I have one last thing to say to you before we go our separate ways. And it's a word of hope. Things look terrible. Things are bad. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be death, but but someday one will come and he will take on the great serpent. He will fight the dragon, and it will be a battle to the death, but he will win. Now, of course, if that's true, Keller continues, if the Bible is actually right about that, which we believe that it is, then naturally that idea of a great king would pass into the human race's collective unconscious. And it would have become a part of the imaginative literature of all of the ancient cultures. And in that case, Jesus is not a copy of those ancient stories. Jesus is actually the source of those stories. And then Keller goes on to quote Lewis himself in one of his essays where Lewis writes this. Look, monarchy is easily debunked. The actual record of kings is abysmal. It is full of tyranny. Now listen, yet where we are forbidden to honor a king, we will honor millionaires, athletes, film stars, instead even famous gangsters. For spiritual nature, like physical nature, will be served. Deny it food, and it will gobble poison. Now listen to this. Keller says there is absolutely an enormous appetite for fantasy and for heroic romances. Still today in our books and in our literature, there is a deep hunger for kings and queens and heroes in dragons. It was the Game of Thrones just a couple of years ago, and it outsells realistic fiction 10 to 1 or more. What is there about the human psyche that needs, in the very center of it, something to be served? What Lewis is saying is this. Why this hunger for kings? Why this incredible need to crown someone or something psychologically, sociologically, or culturally And Lewis answers, it's a memory trace. Physical nature will be served. Deny it food and it will gobble poison. You will have a king in your life. And you can either have the right one or you can have the wrong one, but you will have one. But Jesus is the one that you seek. Jesus is the ultimate king. Jesus is the true king. Jesus is the king of which you have a memory trace in your imagination hardwired into your brain. So far, Keller. It's fascinating. Jesus is drawing near to us in this worship He is our true king who brings us peace. And every other king that you may crown in your life will become a tyrant. Money, power, status, you will never have enough, and it will grind you into the ground. Friends, family, lovers, I hate to be so dark, but all of them will die. Conservative traditionalism, progressive liberalism, each will have to silence and oppress its opposition in order to gain control. Jesus is the only king who never exploits, coerces, or forces. Instead, Jesus' ruling power comes into your life, and it heals you. But Jesus will not be the kind of king that we expected or even the king that we would have chosen. We have to imagine that Jesus' disciples must have been thinking on this Palm Sunday. I mean, think about this. If Jesus, who after three years of ministry had walked to all of his destinations and is now specifically arranging to ride the last couple of miles into Jerusalem after all he has said, after all has he done, you know what I'd be thinking? Yes! Finally, we're gonna knock some heads! You are the great king! But wait! You should be on a war horse, not on this little colt. But that's exactly the point. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. An astute student of the Old Testament would know that when the Messiah kings enter the city, he will come humbly. Humbly. Jesus embraces this seemingly irreconcilable tension of the mighty king who comes as a humble servant, and he's not headed for a throne in the palace, but to the cross where he will be crowned our king with thorns. Look, the problem in this world, the problem in your life, the problem in my life is that sin has made us subject to the wrong kings. And there is only one way out. And that was for the true king to disguise himself and become like one of us. Now, what do earthly kings do to subjects who try to overthrow them? Well, they brutally and they ruthlessly line them up and they execute them. And so we did to the king, to Jesus. Not even recognizing that in his death, he would bring the peace that we long for once and for all to all who would believe. Look, at Jesus' birth, the angels filled the sky and they sang to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Now as he enters Jerusalem, the crowds cry out, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Glory in the highest are the bookends And in between, you have peace on earth that now brings peace in heaven. Heaven and earth are now brought back together in Jesus' innocent suffering and death and his resurrection that awaits us as the exclamation point on this week. Jesus is our true king who draws near today in this worship to give you peace and you can reject him. The Pharisees did. Teacher, rebuke your disciples, but Jesus warned them. I tell you, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now, you've heard of the rolling stones. These are the singing stones. And it's a picture of the end of time when Jesus will come again in glory and the whole creation will be restored and they will sing, Beautiful Savior, King of creation, Lord of the nations. You remember what Paul wrote to the Romans? I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth pairing to the glory that will be revealed for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The whole creation will be shouting his praise. Psalms, let the sea roar and all that fills it, and the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands and let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. You could reject him, but why would you? Or you can receive him again this morning and you can experience the peace that he alone can bring into your life. I want to end this sermon at the beginning of our reading for today. Receive Jesus, and he will give you the peace that passes all understanding. Your sins are forgiven. Eternal life is yours starting even now. And then he will send you on a mission. And it is a mission of untying, of loosing, of releasing people from the tyranny of trying to be their own king, of being subject to all of the wrong kings in this world. Oh, and you'll be challenged. Like the two who fetched the colt. Why are you untying it? Why are you going to church? Why are you asking and teaching your family to follow Jesus? Why are you living the way that you are living? Why are you so generous? Why do you care what happens to the poor and the needy? And Jesus gives you a simple answer. The Lord has need of it. Jesus is in control of it all. The code had never been written, and I don't imagine they come trained from the factory. But Jesus is the king of all creation. Please do not forget that Jesus is still running the show of our moment in time. And sometimes it's rotten. Broken, messy people like us living in a broken mess of a world. And sometimes it's incredible. Even in its broken condition, the creation and the things humanity has accomplished are breathtaking. Look, this week, let's learn to live the Lord has need of it kind of lives. Can we say it to ourselves when things are going wrong? I'm not sure why this is happening. I hate it. God, make it stop and then trust that the Lord has need of it. Can we grasp the moments of joy and throw our lives like cloaks onto Jesus and onto the road in front of him and say, the Lord has need of it? And then join the multitude of the followers shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is our king who draws near to us today in this time of worship, and we are called to the cross to receive his peace. God grant it, for Jesus' sake, amen.